0: we'll go back in time. Tonight we'll go back in time to seasons past when 22 men graced the rugged fields of yesterday, fighting for one more first down, one more yard gain, one final score, which would bring victory after 60 minutes of battle on the gridiron. Tonight we'll explore the world of gridiron greats. Welcome to Gridiron Grace, football history and its memorabilia on the Sports History Network. We're live from the Southport, North Carolina home of Gridiron Greats Magazine. I'm Bob Swick, publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'll be your host for the show. Gridiron Greats is the only publication in North America that focuses upon the history and memorabilia of the North American football game since its inception in 1869. We cover 150 plus years of football history and memorabilia, and you can find us on the web at Magazine. It is at this time I would like to introduce my co-host. He's a senior contributing writer to Great and Greats Magazine, a football memorabilia historian, specializing in pre-World War II items, in particular Red Grange, and also Seattle Seahawk items, in particular Steve Larger. He hails from Portland, Oregon. Mr. Joe Squares. Joe, welcome to the show this evening. Bob, great to be on the show again. Great to see you. It's good seeing you actually live. And I got two things <laughs> I want to show, show off before we get started. Number one, I got to stand up to do this. Oh, um, a boy. It's a throwback 19 whatever. Oh, it was, was good. Barkstar jersey uh, that I've worn to any... Packers game that I've attended in person. I've watched it sometimes for games in front of the TV parties back at the old compound in Wallingford, so on and so forth. And I just said, it, it feels good to wear it and uh, get some use out of it again. And uh,
1: Captain, you make that look damn good.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Joe. And yeah. the second thing for show and tell, I have a. 1949 issue of Street and Smith's, which has in honor of North Carolina, my new, my new home state, uh, <laughs> Justice, the, the great legend, Choo Choo Justice, out of North Carolina. And uh, this is a, a very, very uh, historic magazine. Yep. Pick was the sports publication. Uh, at that time, that uh, for whatever reason, Street and Smiths decided to, uh, instead of calling it Street and Smiths as it did uh, up to roughly 1947, they came out with Pick, and the fall issue of Pick is actually the 1949 edition of Street and Smiths hmm. uh, magazine. So again. By the way.
1: My favorite nickname in the forty-eight Leaf set, "Choo Charlie Choo Choo Justice." Love yeah. that card. Love that nickname.
0: And I and I just love the classic, the classic line on the cover uh, of the, you know the, the, you know the look, the run, yeah. the ball in the hand, so on and so forth. Great, great piece of football history. Sadly, for whatever reason, football publications are just not not yeah. in demand. Uh, now if this was a, a pristine PSA 10 somebody refractor limited edition <laughs> two out of three or whatever. Right? I, I had to be all over we'll have to. I have to I have, to, have to, <laughs> the How many thousands? It's fine. But to spend $30 on a 1949 street smith, that, that's a little too much money. I don't want to spend that. I'll pass on it. Yeah. Yeah. That's too much history history for me to accept. But in any way, in any shape, uh, it is what it is. And I said, Joe, I'm going to hand off to you. There's some yes. uh, some brainy, yes. and 49. And remember,
1: Bob, remember what your doctor said. Careful of all that arm waving. Your your blood pressure. Um, right. I'm going to, in keeping with the. I saw you wearing the Bard Star jersey. You showed it off before the show. And uh, a, a prized possession that I have in my office, surrounded by Red Grange, Jim Thorpe, and Steve Largent memorabilia, uh, is something I wanted at a charitable auction two years ago. And it was a young lady who uh, had cancer, who got, who got cancer, and then she beat it. And uh, uh, Jerry Kramer donated an autographed jersey to be auctioned, and the proceeds went to her. And I was lucky enough to be the high bidder on our VFC uh, website, Chagrim, and win it. And uh, as a thank you, she sent me this. Mackenzie sent me this uh, very nice signed postcard of her wearing it. This sits very prominently in my office. It means a lot to me. Not only is it Jerry Kramer, one of the smartest players to ever lace him up, but just the provenance of it, where it came from. And uh, I have a lot of people who ask me, "Who's you know, who's Kramer? This seems a little out of place in your office. And I just tell them to flip that uh, that postcard over. That kind of explains it all. So,
2: uh-huh.
1: uh, Bob, I, I got to ask the, the question a lot of our watchers, our viewers are are wondering. When you wear that Bard Star jersey into a stadium, whether it's home or away, how many people ask you who's star?
0: Ooh, that, that's tough. Some, uh, a few people did, believe it or not, at the Meadowlands. I saw the Jets and oh. and the Packers play, and I was walking in. I took some razzing at that time from some Jets fans booing me as I walked in. Yeah, uh, a couple, a couple guys. No lie, we were in the third tier. Uh, we were actually closer to the Seagulls than. Possible <laughs> the, uh, the Jets. A guy two rows over, young guy, said he said, "Who's 15 on the Packers?" I I, I don't know who that guy is. I, and then I explained it to him. And I was with two big Packer fans, and like we're all shaking our heads and like, "Wow!" And I just said, "I just hope we get out of here alive at, at the end of the game." And it was and it was a typical Packer-Jets game. The Packers rolled the Jets. It wasn't even, yeah, kept, yeah. you know, yeah. that and, uh, it was amazing. And then walking out, I distinctly remember two guys who had a little too much to drink were really razzing me all the way to the cart. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a tall guy. I'm not a big guy. But the guy I was with uh, was like 6'2", 300 pounds, and he just kind of looked at him and just said, you know, guys, just stop messing around. And that's it. And they were, you know. By the, by the way,
1: be- by the way, Bob, the default Jets fan has had too much to drink, especially no. after the game. You don't even need to state that you just say jets fan and immediately <laughs> I'm like, okay guy's drunk
0: because there were many nice there were many nice Jets fans there they were not inebriated or whatever but
1: <laughs> uh, my wife and i's uh goal when we got married was to have a picture of us standing in front of every nfl stadium wearing a steve Largent jersey uh we made it through about six and then kids started happening and uh you know that that kind of puts a block on things. Uh, but what, I've been to a couple of stadiums. The one that really came to mind was uh, Philadelphia. We went there in 2005, December of 2005, and that's the year we went to the Super Bowl the first time. Sean Alexander, Matt Hasselbeck, and I'm walking in, and the the fans are chanting "A hole," yeah, and once one person started, you'd get a thousand people. I've never had a thousand people call me a name before. So that was kind of nice, uh, but I always arm myself with knowing more about their team than most of the fans, which is pretty easy. I know mo- you know a lot. Some people are like, "Largent sucks," and I'm like, "Really? He's in the Hall of Fame." Yeah. Uh, you know, are you, you know that's like saying Steve Van Buren sucks.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. All right. The, the Seahawks sucks. Well, that's funny. We're beating you. It's thirty-five to seven at halftime. You know, what's that say about your? So I always just kind of try to counter with logic.
0: Yeah, that, uh... that's a good point. And I'll tell you, in uh, Philadelphia, I've heard so many stories from visiting fans that, man, it is hostile. Oh, yeah. To see I see a game there. And, uh, you know, I thought about it a couple times, like a few times the Packers played in Philadelphia back when I was in uh, Connecticut. And then I just said, no, I'm, I'm just, you know, I want to go to a game. I want to have fun. I, I'm not there to, you know, uh, I'm not on the field playing, type of thing. So that's it. One other quick story on on this uh, jersey. um, Soldier Field, back in 2012, uh, Adams, Andy Becker, my daughter. Yes. uh, We were able, actually, Andy was able to pull some field passes before the game. Now I got this jersey on. And, you know, Bears packers pretty good rivalry so on and so forth so gotta walk off the field and I'm on the bottom we're on the bottom um uh, the field going behind the benches to get out into the exit and I'm getting booed I'm getting yelled so I'm high-fiving people as I'm going along I got a security guy what did mean? Get off the field now, you're gonna get killed. Come on, move. move. (laughs) So a bunch of people were starting applauding me when I was when I was gone off. I just had a good laugh over over that And that was another game. The Packers rolled the Bears that day. So it was it was just another another uh, another amazing experience. It's a small world, Bob.
1: I went to a Seahawks Bears games game with Andy Becker. Stayed in his house. Uh, we took a cab in, had lunch with uh, Josh Adams, yeah. and then we took a cab, got dropped off about a mile, and Andy and I poured ourselves into a rickshaw and rickshawed oh, up to the front gate of, of Soldier Stadium. Yeah. <laughs> and I've got a great picture standing, you know, uh, you know, outside the stadium with him and I in a rickshaw. I'll share with you. But all right, yeah,
0: so 48 and forty-eight leaps on the auction.
1: Yeah. Uh, I don't know if anyone was watching Heritage uh, that fired off uh, over, the, over the Thanksgiving holiday. There were quite a few 48 leaves, very high grade. As you know, uh, I've written an article about the, uh, the, the, the card doctoring, how they love the 48 leaf set just because of the variation in size from, you know, 60 to 70 millimeters on, uh, on high, high side and a lot of cards and a lot of cards that were obviously trimmed to me. Uh, I, I have a intimate knowledge of you know what these cards should look like, what used to what used to get rejected for being evidence of trim and what started to, you know probably five years ago, seven years ago began to slip by the goalies at PSA and be and be graded. a 48 leaf Clyde Bulldog Turner PSA8 went for 1400. Ten years ago that was an eight thousand dollar card. Bobby Lane. PSA 8, went for 15000 Uh, $15, uh th- That's right in there. That was a good-looking card, actually. George McCaffrey, or McCaffey, PSA 8, speaking of bears, sold for $1,800. I mean, that's a five $6,000 card normally. Uh, Bob Waterfield, uh, University of Oregon, great. PSA 8, sold for $2,400. That's an $8,000 card 10 years ago. Charlie Trippy. $3,800. Uh, the one that got my attention was uh, Slingin' Sammy Baugh, Burgundy, uh, PSA 8 Burgundy jersey. PSA 8 Sammy Baugh, probably the marquee card in the 48 leaf set. It went for 11000 That was probably a $20,000 card a decade ago. Uh, and uh, the, the one surprise was a uh, the, uh, the concrete Charlie Bednarik rookie card. PSA seven went for twenty seven thousand, and I've seen this card before. There's not that many PSA sevens. This is a you know a a seven or eight thousand dollar card. So somebody obviously needed that. Somebody liked it. But a couple outliers. But all in all, prices on high grade, uh, you know PSA eight forty eight leaves were probably a half to forty percent off their highs. You know before you know trimming came. And uh, I, don't, I don't know what to equate that to. Is that, uh, is that saturation of high grade or is that people being educated about what a trim card looks like?
0: I, I got a feeling it's a combination of both, but can you imagine spending 20, 20 25,000 for a card and now you know you're going to be lucky. You're going to get half, if if at most half for that card, knowing that it's been doctored type of thing. And, and again, yeah. the 48 leaf, I, I've said this a hundred times. If I said it once, when I was putting that set together, I rarely ever saw any card better than X or X plus or X near mint. There's no possible way that those nice cards came into the market all of a sudden out of nowhere. You know, it's impossible as far as I'm concerned.
1: Yeah, but I will mention a lot of these were the older flips, older grades. So somebody probably paid a lot of money for these, you know, 10, 12 years ago and decided to get out of collecting and was probably very unpleasantly surprised at some of the results in prices right
0: right Uh, what happened with that brady uh yeah uh, uh,
1: both you and i's favorite card and uh, (laughs) it it takes a second to say it together and i had to write it down it is the 2000 playoff contender tom brady championship ticket autograph rookie card Yeah, I'll send you the script later on, Captain. But one of those popped in Heritage, and uh, you and I keep very close eye on those. Uh, This is uh, one of 82 examples graded to date, uh, and they grade them on the quality of the card and the quality of the autograph. I'm going to give you a brief history. Uh, This card sold for $855,000 over the weekend. That includes the buyer's premium. That's nearly a million dollars. This uh, Mint 9, this uh, the BGS 9 Auto 10 is the uh, highest graded Tom Brady uh, 2000 playoff contender Tom Brady championship ticket autograph rookie card to sell. I just like saying it at this point. I'm going to give you the history of the three that I've seen uh, fire off. April of 21, a... 8.5, a BGS 8.5 and 10 auto sold for 850,000. Two weeks later, one sold in Leland uh, for $2.25 million. lesser grade, the one that was 850 was an 8.5 uh, and 10. That The one that sold for triple that was an 8.59 auto. So obviously somebody missed out in April of 21 and two weeks later went, I have to have this. for an 8.5 and 9 auto. So fast forward, two and a half years, this is the first one that's popped since then. This is the highest graded one yet that we've seen, a 9 grade, the other two are 8.5s, and a 10 auto. Uh, The 2.25 million one was a 9 auto, and the 8.50 was a 10 10 auto. So this one sold for Uh, 8.55. So, I mean, you can see... The uh, the want the the need for this uh, the, this rare Tom Brady rookie card is uh, you know is waning.
0: Well, one one quick point on this: we know publicly three went to auction. Okay, we know there's got to be a lot of them in in hands of private collectors. We don't know of any private transactions because they're not advertised. Ah, good point. But let's just call it: it is realistically a million-dollar card and it's defining and moving our hobby right now for whatever reason um i know i could i would do different things with a million dollars and not put it in that brady card i mean if i had unlimited unlimited income yeah i probably would buy it just to say i had it it's just it's astounding to me that that is that that card is going for that price it's just amazing truly amazing
1: yeah i I agree I I saved those I saved the prices of them uh it's it's fascinating it, it's it's yeah just fascinating to see that uh mm-hmm. what people are spending on that card that's that's yeah, that's gambling that's like I assume this is going to go up people are going to want more of this yeah. but I mean yeah it, it's unbelievable oh
0: well our special guest is here and I don't want to keep them waiting any longer let me introduce them. His love of playing the game of football led him to officially it at the high school level when he was in college. He wore the stripes for 27 years on the playing fields of Pennsylvania, and it gave him an, an appreciation for the rules side of our very complex game. In the early 2000s, he wrote for a couple of websites and was assigned to a history of the rules series. That was it. He was hooked on the history and started the It's a website. He lives in Erie, Pennsylvania, and is married with four adult children and three grandchildren. His day job is the materials manager for a local steel fabrication and machining industrial plant. And I'd like to welcome to our show this evening, Mr. Darren Hayes. Darren, welcome to the show.
2: Well, thank you, gentlemen. It's, a, it's an honor to be here with you. Nice to see you, Joe, and you. And... Uh, on here, and I apologize for my camera not working, having a little bit of technical difficulty. But not a problem.
1: Bob you weren't a handsome man, and you're pretty shy. So, I'm <laughs> you're,
2: you're getting a better view of the logo than you would be of me. So, I won't be <laughs> as afraid. So, that's a good thing.
0: Yeah, hey, that's, that, that's no problem. That's no problem whatsoever. I'd like to start off by uh, asking you, Darren, uh, how did you get interested in football and officiating?
2: Well, in Western Pennsylvania, I don't know if you two have ever visited Western Pennsylvania, but it's uh, football is is king, you know, all the way from the the south part of Western Pennsylvania down by Pittsburgh and Washington PA where W and J is and Pitt all the way up to Erie. We're up in the stovepipe of Pennsylvania right up on the lake and uh, everything evolves revolves around football. It's high school football. It's college football. It's pro football. Erie sits about uh, 100 miles from the Buffalo Bills' home stadium, the Pittsburgh Steelers' home stadium, Cleveland Browns' home stadium. We're about 130 miles from Canton. so And the uh, Canadian Football Hall of Fame in Hamilton is probably about 130 miles from us. So we have a lot of football in our area, and uh, we love it. And it, it just – I grew up to it. If, if I didn't like football, I'd probably be kicked out of this my home. So. <laughs>
0: off
1: all right I love your uh I I love your activity on Twitter uh and uh other social media over the over the Thanksgiving holiday you had a post that's very near and dear to my heart that I commented on November 26 1925 Red Grange first NFL game Chicago Bears bears versus Chicago Cardinals uh, it was his first NFL game uh ended in a zero, zero tie, but uh, just one of, and I, you mentioned it as uh, NFL.com ranked it as the 81st greatest game in the league history. I would probably rank it higher considering that was a sold out, uh, you know, a sold out game. And the week after, you, you know, you know, uh, against the giants, you know, you know, Welling, Welling tomorrow wept you know at you know at the gate gay receipts as it saved his team uh how do you decide what kind of to put on your website how do you go how do you figure that out
2: well we we aim to try to have something new and different every single day of the year I mean our our Motto is, you know, there's football history every day of the year, even in the off-season. So we we celebrate the birthdays of Hall of Famers of the College Football Hall of Fame, the Pro Football Hall of Fame. During season, we can celebrate the greatest games, you know, the NFL choosing its hundred games. And I agree with you, it should be higher than 81st. That was the NFL.com decided that. I mean, really, if you think about it, that game may have saved not only the Giants the week after, it may have saved the, the National Football League with Red Grange and what he did afterwards with his barnstorming tour and football into you know across the country. I, I think that's a, a humongous day for uh the NFL. But that's that's sort of our genre. We're trying to bring football history every single day, bring honor to these players and teams and innovators of the game at all levels of football, not just the professional level. And uh that was our tribute to for that day.
1: I loved it. I'm not sure if you're a collector, but uh the, a program, only the probably the third I've ever seen. A, a program for that game sold at auction over the weekend. It went for over. Uh, it went for almost six thousand dollars.
2: Wow. <laughs> Yeah, that's, uh, I can't say that I'm a collector to the extent that, that you folks are. I mean, you, I, I'm in awe of your conversation here earlier and uh, the the stuff that's going there with the, the cards and the memorabilia. I love, and I love, you know, listening and watching on the VFC too of uh, all the great stuff that's going on there. I'm more of a collector of stories and, you know, I have some minor things, you know, I, some signed jerseys and things like that, but uh, not to the extent that you folks have.
0: Nice. The, um, Darren, uh, I got through recently with your brand new book, which is called The World's Greatest Pro Gridiron Team, the 1903 Franklin all And And uh, it was just an amazing read to me. You sent me a, a, a PDF of it. It was an amazing read to me to see what was transpiring at that time historically in football on a team that i i basically never heard of before so let's spend some time uh looking at that book and uh what made you write it so on and so forth well,
2: most certainly well first of all thank you for for reading it and for the kind words but franklin Pennsylvania is probably about 50, 60 miles from my home. It's halfway between Erie and Pittsburgh in that general area. And it is in uh, oil country. And uh, that, I mean, Drake's Wells, Edwin Drake founded the first commercial oil well uh, in Titusville, Pennsylvania, which is a few miles from where Franklin is. But Franklin and another town called Oil City were the benefactors and they became extremely wealthy uh, just before the turn of the last century. And, these uh, millionaires at the time, literally millionaires in 1900 1903, when this book took place, decided that they were going to have some competition because the oil city and Franklin are nine miles apart. And uh, they ended up playing baseball against each other. And it eventually turned into playing some football first with some local guys. And eventually they started bringing in some ringers and, you know, th- this 1903 team, if I talk to people from Franklin, which I, I work with quite a few, being such close a locale to it, people in Franklin have never heard of the 1903 Franklin All-Stars. They didn't even know they had a professional team in Franklin. Um, and it's it's, a, it's amazing, the story. And as I got into it, I, you know, that was the first draw to it. I saw it in a, a PFRA Coffin Corner article from the early 80s. I read it a few years ago. Actually, they had a couple of them. And it, I gained interest because I saw franklin and being in the locale i caught my interest and i when i officiated i officiated quite a few oil city franklin games down there which is still a big rivalry at the high school level and as i got more into this story i said oh my gosh this is this team was amazing the things that they did to affect our game today uh i hopefully I, i enlightened the reader in the book and just some of the amazing things they did that season it's astounding and i think that the claim that they made that the world's greatest pro, uh, greatest team was from the Franklin paper back in the day. But I think it, it's very fitting today that I, I don't know of a more dominant team in any football, let alone professional football, than this team that happened three years before the forward pass was even legal. So, you know, they, just imagine this, uh, a team so dominant that uh, they scored on average – Point nine seven points per minute. I mean, sit there and think about it. I went back and I looked at, you know, some of the great professional teams. I did an article on Pigskin Dispatch a year or two ago on some of the highest scoring offenses. And those, uh, was it the 56 Rams? I think we ended up being the highest. They were like 36 points. Uh, a game, which you divide that by 120, you're just scoring about a, a half a point a minute. The the Kansas City Chiefs from a few years ago and some of the great teams we've had over the years, they're still right between a half a point and you know, maybe 0. 0.6 points per minute. So they they had the forward pass to go with them. So they scored that many points. Defensively, they only they went undefeated, unscored upon in a 12 game season. Two of those being. What we would call playoff games, postseason games, so the second World Series of football played Madison Square Garden against the best teams in pro football at the time. Uh, defensively, they only had two teams. Not only nobody scored on them, only two teams crossed midfield on them all season, and that was on fumble recoveries by that team, which they got stopped, you know, close to midfield, and they either lost the ball or got sacked back beyond the line. So only two plays really went against them on their side of the field all season 12 games it's utter dominance and it's unbelievable uh you know this team with their accomplishments and that's uh and i think they need to be remembered because these t- these players were unbelievable themselves
0: well you know the, wow. mindset, the mindset that i can see um and i was just going to bring that up when you said only two teams got past midfield so on and so forth can you imagine being a team and you know that you're going to play franklin <laughs> next week? How do you prepare for that game how to, what do you do you know what 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 are you attempting to do to you know what you know just keep the score of 30 points or 40 points or whatever the <laughs> i mean it's it's amazing <laughs> to me how he, they even played anybody why would anybody want to play with them play with uh against them because they know they're going to get you know uh by the end of the end of the game
2: I mean, that's a great point. And there's some teams that didn't play them. They, okay. They, they built this team because of the rivalry with oil city in 1902, a year prior, they had a three game series with oil city and the first game they, they end up losing six to five, but oil city brought in a, a couple ringers from the original NFL. If you remember that league of two Philadelphia teams and a Pittsburgh team sort of, uh, Variations of the baseball team, Connie Max, uh, Philadelphia Athletics, Philadelphia Phillies had a team, Pittsburgh Stars. Uh, they ended up having a Doc, uh, Doc Ben Roller, who was probably the, the best football player at the time on Oil City, and they won six to five over Franklin. So they had another game on Thanksgiving Day where it was a zero zero tie with the same teams. Oil City didn't like that. So they rescheduled a the game for the Saturday after Thanksgiving and the original. NFL's uh, championship game, Philadelphia Athletics-Pittsburgh Stars, happened in Pittsburgh on what we call Black Friday. Well, some representatives of Oil City went down there, hired basically the entire Philadelphia Athletics team to come up and play against Franklin. So they had uh, maybe one player that they had on two days prior against Franklin and won, I think it was 12-0 in that score. Uh, so Franklin was kind of mad, They and there was gambling. They, these are millionaires betting on this so they lost, they lost thousands. Uh, Franklin did. So one uh, guy in particular, General Charles yeah. Miller, who was a, a big deal in Franklin, he lost the most. He told his manager, he said, "I don't care what it takes, I want a team put together next year that's going to beat Oil City, no matter what they do." And that was sort of the uh, evolution of this team was built. So a, a gentleman by the name Dave Prince, who was a, a young clothing uh, store. Uh, proprietor and in downtown Franklin was the manager. And he went around in that whole off season, recruited the best players in football at the time. And they did a pretty good job of putting together a team. And this team is so recognized as I was finalizing this book, uh, John Wilkie of the PFRA had a, a coffin corner post over the summer. And he ended up looking at some great teams and great players of the turn of century right in this era and for 1903 the first two players on his list are quarterback jack hayden franklin all-stars and herman kirkhoff who was a, a, a tackle for the so those are his two top players in 1903 both franklin all-stars wow.
0: it's really amazing um the other thing i, I did enjoy about the book And this is just me. I like when I actually can read in depth about the games of the season. And I think you did a really nice job really explaining what happened in each game so that the reader can actually, you know, go back in time the 120 plus years uh, to see, you know, and visualize what was going on in the field. And again, anybody who follows early football history Realizes the task you you under uh, you, uh, you created with your book uh, was an enormous amount of research that had to go into it. And can you touch upon uh, you know the where you found a lot of this information, so on and so forth, and how and how it gelled together for you?
2: Sure, I mean. Actually, a lot of it came from the Franklin newspaper at the time. Now, this is a day before they had sports pages and uh, sports journalism. But this was such big news, this team. And and this town of Franklin, they were so ticked off at Oil City that everything that happened with this team from October through December, was most of it was front-page news. Every game was front-page on there. And they went into extreme detail, much more detail than – our newspapers do today because we have video and other sources of media to look at but this is their only source of of, uh getting the news and the journalists on that they just did a great job and they covered it like a news story which was great for us today because we have so much information on them the other thing there's some great resources i I mean i got to tip my hat to the venango historical society that uh, is in that area they're actually in downtown franklin and they, they gave me a wealth of information of, about, you know, General Miller and his partner, Joseph Sibley, and some of the other characters that are in there. And, you know, others of it was, you know, a lot of uh, PFRA and some uh, other great sources like that had some great, good stuff on, on the, some of the players. And, uh, and, and Washington and Jefferson uh, University who had many of the the main players came from that school, they were able to provide me some information, some photos that are in the book as well.
0: Wow. Now, do you know, uh, not to put you on the spot, but do you know if any or if they issued an actual program for each game and did they have a physical ticket? I'm just curious about that.
2: That I do not know. Uh, That's a good question. I, I could find very little of, you know, there, there's only one image of the team and that they had a, f- a photographer take a team photo and that's sort of the cover of the book. And I have the, the, the money shot in the book. And, uh, you know, that's the only photo I could find. I, I found photos of the players, you know, maybe in their college days or uh, many of these players went on to play when, because you know, this team in, in essence ended professional football in Pennsylvania. Uh, You know, from 18, you know, 1892 with Pudge Heffelfinger and, uh, you know, some of the other great teams that happened, it was all Western Pennsylvania focused right up through 1903 with Franklin. After that, it's sort of poof, there's nothing happening till, you know, you have some Eastern teams, you know, the uh Frankfurt Yellow Jackets and the possible Maroons come up, but not until the Steelers in 1933 is there really anything talked about professional football in Western Pennsylvania. That's because all these players, when Franklin said, we can't do anymore. You know, mm-hmm. we we went undefeated. We beat everybody. Nobody could score on us. Nobody could move the ball on us. And what, what else do we have to prove oil city did not play them that year in 1903 by the way they ended up forfeiting and not not playing and somehow they got their money back franklin people were too nice to them uh but yet frank so te- when you when we were talking earlier teams wouldn't play them. oil city the team they built this team for would not play them and just because uh, it's not face embarrassment so but all these players in 1904 you found them on the the Canton Bulldogs, the Maslin Tigers, some of those teams. So it ended up turning into the mythical Ohio league with many of those players. You'll see them on those teams.
1: What an, what an interesting stat points per minute. I've never heard it put like that, but it was fascinating. Here you say, you know, 0.97 points per minute. So they're racking up 55 plus, you know, points per game on average. That's really interesting.
2: Well, well, it didn't really exactly work like that because timing was different back then. And oh. we get into this, actually, T- Timothy P. Brown, you know, VFC member collector. I know, I know you f- folks are familiar with him uh, footballarchaeology.com uh, I have him on as a regular guest each week. And I, I asked him because you look at these newspaper things, they tell you the time of the halves and some you'll see things like the first half, 20 minutes, second half, 12 minutes or 15 minutes. And I'm, and I'm like, going, what the heck is going on here? Well, these games, remember that there's no lighted fields at the time. They have two or 3 PM starts before daylight savings time. So just sit there and think about that this time of year. If, if you are not yeah. in daylight savings time, you're getting dark. So you can't play a full second half and you're, you're shortening your first half a little bit too. Cause you know, the time constraints. So, the, the there's many times they didn't, they never played a 60 minute game like the NFL does. So they averaged more like it was almost 40 points a game, but I, I knew exactly how many minutes they played all year, including the two games at Madison square garden.
1: Well, that's interesting. I actually didn't know that.
2: Oh. And I, and I sort of, I sort of went through and you look, you look, think of that same year, or maybe it's within a couple of years, they had the the point a minute teams of the, of the Michigan uh, the Wolverines and they actually only averaged like 0.7 points per minute in reality, even though they called them a point minute teams and co college had a point a minute team. They were like 0.72 points per minute. So I, I just factored in. I said, I know how much time they played. I know how many points they scored. And I, I was astounded when I saw how many points they scored before the forward pass. I, I was floored.
1: That's just really cool. I love your, uh, I, I love your, your pigskin dispatch podcast. You do They're They're, they're just Little little shorts. Uh most of them are like, you know, you have some nine-minute ones, 18-minute ones, and then every once in a while you have a 55 minute one. Uh my favorite was your number 12. You've done 265 of these, by the way. That's impressive. Uh my favorite was your number 12 that I listened to uh a couple days ago before the show. The Seahawks get their wings. Uh obviously being a Seahawk fan, that that one got my attention. Uh, how do you decide what your topic is? Why the, why the variation in time between them? And how do you decide that?
2: Well, actually you're seeing that, that episode two sixty five. that's our third season. There's that, there's almost 1500 podcasts in there since 2020 there's, there's two more seasons back there. And originally what I did is I went and I did, I did one every single day, uh, like, you know, to stay in tune with the, the daily news, talk about the hall of famers that are having birthdays and, and doing all that. So that's where the first 365 came from. And then I did a series on, on every Jersey number, which you're talking about the number 12s uh, we had guests on. And, and sometimes they get longer. If I have a guest on an author wants to talk about his book, you know, similar to what we're doing right now, but come on, we'll talk about them. Um, you know, whatever they're talking about, team or player or group of players and uh so those generally go a little bit longer or we're talking about the jersey numbers where we're paying tribute to every the great players that wore number 12 or yeah. we had one number 15 you know you're showing off the the bart star uniform earlier you know bob was and uh you know so we, we got to talk about that and i have guests on that talked about that so many of those jersey numbers were guests that, ca- that came on and spoke many people that uh, i'm sure you guys have talked to
1: this is uh, the, I, I, I didn't see on here. I thought this was it that you're saying, that, and it's two sixty one. I apologize. Uh, you're saying there are other seasons of this that are over. It's over a thousand. I didn't know that. I'm, I don't see. That's fascinating.
0: Darren is the king of football podcasting, in my opinion. And, uh, <laughs> I, I am just so in awe. You did one a day for that uh, couple of years that you did it. Just amazing. Amazing. And you're still married, and that's a good thing. And you're still married. I,
1: I suppose having a 15-minute one is like, you know, just stepping off to the side and, uh, yeah, going for it. That's really cool. I I, I dug these. These are just short nibbles, you know, walking the dog. And I, I listened about, uh, probably about, you know, six or eight of them before the show after Bob sent the link.
2: Oh, well, th- thank you. Yeah, my, my wife is very understanding. She knew going in that I was a, a football fanatic. And uh, so when I got out of, of officiating, which I was gone like every day of the week during, you know, three months of the year, uh, getting into this, now I'm doing it 365 days a year. So she understands. And so. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm.
0: That's great. Yeah. Um. Darren, the other thing I was going to ask you, can you tell our uh, listeners and viewers uh, how they can obtain your book?
2: Yes, we are on Amazon. Uh, You can either put in the the title of it, The World's Greatest Pro Gridiron Team, or my name, Darren L. Hayes, D-A-R-I-N-L-H-A-Y-E-S. And we also have on the front page of pigskindispatch.com, we have a link there that you can go directly to the book. And it's available in ebook, paperback, and hardcover. And we're considering maybe going going audio too. I haven't uh, pulled the trigger on that yet, but I I may be doing that for the audio version of the book as well.
1: Darren, do you remember those old, uh, you know, Monday night football games with Howard Cosell, where he would have a segment on there during commercials called You Make the Call?
2: Oh, yes, yeah.
1: And they would play, yeah, if you remember it. I mean, for our listeners, I guess, uh, they'd, they'd show some obscure, uh, you know, play where something happened, and it's a weird rule, like uh, the, the Seahawks, Rams one, it just happened where you can't punt the ball twice. They're like, you make the call. And then they'd switch over to commercial, and you'd have, you know, two minutes to discuss and argue and make your guess about what was going on. Uh it, it, it's what, what got you into officiating? What turned you that way?
2: Well, the, the first thing is, you know, the, the love of football. And I was a, a starving uh, college student at the time looking to, for a way to make a couple extra bucks. And some, one of my friends that was older than me said, Hey, I'm a football official. If you want to come and hold the chains, you know, we give you like 25 bucks for holding the chains at a high school game. I'm oh, like, yeah. And I get in the game for free and I get to stand on the sideline. Hey, beautiful so i did that for a couple games and then you're in our up in our area the chain people go into the locker room with the officials so you get to hear what they're talking about before the game they're going over the rules and everything and it became interesting to me so i got more intrigued in it my friend ended up talking me into doing it so you start out the lower level you know little kids games and you work your way up to you know, I I did a, a state championship game in, in Pennsylvania in early two thousands. So, and I was I was a crew chief uh, for for many years too. So till I retired in twenty sixteen.
1: Oh wow, that's impressive. Yeah. I like it. so. <laughs> yeah, how often you get stumped? Uh, like you you see the various. They, I like now that they have a, a professional. Like, well, especially for the Sunday night, you know, game and the Monday night game, they'll have a professional, I think his name's like Mike something, you know, who will automatically turn to while the officials are going over stuff before it goes, you know, you know, back to New York or something like that. How often do you get stumped in those?
2: Well, there's, there's a lot of times because national football league rules are different from the NCAA's college rules. And they're different from the national federation rules, which most high school, which most states use for high school. So, I mean, there's a lot of uh, different variation into that. And uh, matter of fact, I was, I'm doing some research right now on a story of, you know, the brotherly shove that's so popular with Philadelphia's success, you know, the last couple of years and, you know. In high school level, that's illegal. It's called aiding yes. the runner, and it's a five-yard penalty. You can't do it. So I was doing some research, and I said, "God, when did this change?" So 2005, this change in the NFL where you could assist the runner, and it was right about the time of the famous college play, uh, you know, with Notre Dame and USC with the Bush push, where I believe Matt Leinart pushed Bush over the touch uh, ends the goal line for uh, you know, the, the USC beat Notre Dame in that game, and. So now it's turned into, you know, sort of a, a I think a kind of a dangerous play. I take back to, you know, the flying wedge and the V formation that they legalized back in the, you know, early football because people were getting hurt. And that's really what it is. It's a mass momentum play uh, without, you know, you're not you don't have the momentum, but you're you have everybody 11 players focusing at one point of attack and I you know, I'm I'm wondering should we be doing this? Should the NFL be allowing this? Because it's it's kind of dangerous and somebody's going to get hurt.
1: Yeah, at the bottom of that rugby scrum.
0: What I don't understand um, about that play is they're so worried about protecting the quarterback. So you can't, you know, defenses are now limited what they can do with the quarterback to to bring them down, so on and so forth. But they let a, like Joe said, a rugby scum, uh, scrum type of play Take place, and I can guarantee you, once one star quarterback breaks his leg or something or gets really injured, that's going to be the end of that. Then the rules, you know, they're going to call for a change in the rules, so on and so forth. So, I, I agree with you, uh, Darren. You know, I, I, I really don't understand why they're allowing that play uh, in the NFL of, of all places,
2: yeah. And, it, and it's even evolving out beyond the line of scrimmage. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a Steelers fan. I don't know if you saw the game against Cincinnati this weekend. Najee Harris goes into a, a pile for like a two-yard gain, and there's a mass pile up there. All of a sudden, he squirts out the other end, gets a 20-yard run. I mean, I was ecstatic that we got a 20-yard run for the way the Steelers' offense has been this year. But I'm sitting here thinking, you know, where, where does this stop? I mean, they're, they're taking away interlock blocking and tandem blocking on, on kickoffs in the NFL, but yet they're letting mass momentum blocking – downfield and pushing from behind, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's not football, it's rugby. Like you said,
1: forward progress has been stopped. The whistle should be blown to a, blown to avoid injury uh, when they, you know, when they hit piles like that, that's my take on it.
2: Yeah. My, I agree with you. I agree. Yeah,
0: we got about uh, seven more minutes left and uh, can you uh, give us a uh, synopsis on your website information and so on and so forth on that.
2: Yeah. I mean, first of all, it's found at pigskindispatch.com. Uh, we pride ourselves on every single day. You'll see at least two, three or more, uh, stories that pertain to the day or, uh, a podcast pop up or, you know, some, something relevant to the game of football. That's going to be interesting. And most of them pertinent to the day. Uh, we have a, a sister, website because we our, our jersey series that we talked about earlier had so much success with the NFL jerseys. People were asking me, hey, why doesn't somebody do this for Major League Baseball or for hockey or the NBA? So we created a, a website called jerseydispatch.com it sort of focuses on the players and giving attention through their Jersey number and paying uh, homage to them in, in different ways. So we're having some fun with that too. So that's at jerseydispatch.com but pigskin football focused. Uh, you know, we, we try to keep things uh, fun, football fun. And that's one of the things that when, you know, just like I'm sure you guys can attest to your collecting probably takes you back to your childhood when everything associated with football was just fun uh whether it was a football card you know opening up that that pack of cards uh when you get them at the store almost like wrapping a gift at christmas day every time you don't know what's going to be in there or you know um uh, playing you know electronic games or just being in a neighborhood throwing a ball around with the, the fellas and you know having a neighborhood pickup game it's all fun uh, and some of the board games and you know the electric footballs and everything that goes on so that's what takes me back to my childhood and that's what the intent of Pigskin Dispatch is and to pay tribute to these great players and innovators and and people, anything associated with the game of football. We, that's why we try to do it on a daily basis to give some entertainment value to it.
1: Well, well done. You're you're following the right people too. You reposted Joe uh, Ziemba and his Bears and Cardinals book, which was outstanding. He was a guest on, and and then yeah, it, it's kind of funny. I just I'm looking at your Twitter account. He, he reposted that same program from the Thanksgiving Day uh bear you know Red Grange uh you know first game for the Bears that, that's probably
2: I probably reposted Joe's tweet Joe and Joe and I are pretty good friends and he's been on you know a bunch of times I actually I got to see him at the Pfra conference uh, in Pittsburgh oh, right. this past year so and actually you know Joe, I mean, speaking of Joe and Timothy Brown, we spoke of earlier, uh, Ken Crippen, who I'm sure you're familiar with the football learning Academy. Uh, I had them, uh, we did something a little bit different in the hard copy of the yeah. book and I, I enjoy eBooks and I read a lot of hard copy books, but I like the elements of eBooks where if there's another part of the story that a reader can go to. Maybe, you know, you don't, maybe it doesn't pertain to the Franklin 1903 team, but it's something in football that needs to be told. So people understand it, like the timing rule that we talked about. So I, I asked some of my friends like Tim, Timothy Brown, I said, Hey, can you make a recording on explaining that why halves were different lengths? We recorded, it. I threw a QR code in the hard copy of the books. So a person reading the, the actual copy of the book can take their smart device, hit on that QR code. It takes them into a podcast. It, it may be, you know, I refer to the, the first filmed football game, Thomas Edison filmed the Harvard Yale game in 1903, which was taking place through all this teams playing. I mentioned that and I said, Hey, if you want to take a look at that, hit this QR code, it takes you to the YouTube of that, that Thomas Edison film from 1903. So it's just a different element. I don't know of any other book that's done that with QR codes. Uh, I'm, I'm sure if there's somebody out there that's smarter than me. that did it, but it's kind of a neat element and it adds some bonus, uh, to the the book and the story itself
1: that's very smart i know there's a yeah yeah that's very smart i like that and are you able to track that that track those metrics how many people are taking advantage of that
2: uh it's so far it's been pretty popular yeah most of them tie right into pigskin dispatch or a page on pigskin dispatch so i can house the podcast i can't it's hard for me to put a link unless i do that uh but you know Ken Crippen, his football, uh, learning Academy podcast. I have that Joe Ziemba, when football is football podcast. So they each have donated their time and did some research on that. So you'll hear their podcast pop up in there and it's just shortened version. I tried to cut the commercials out of it and all the, you know, the, the regular stuff that you hear if you go on to a podcast, so, you know, it's trying to pay for the podcast to come on, but we, we took some of that stuff out of there and it really turned out really nice. And we uh, very proud of that fact too. And I appreciate those gentlemen for helping me because they really added to the story.
1: Standing. So we, we, uh, we thank you for your time. We usually end the show asking people what advice you would give to beginning collectors, but you said you don't have, you don't collect anything. What, what, the, what, what do you uh you're 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 at an advantage you can see what bob and i have hanging on our walls and our shelves what do you have hanging around your office what do you what do you collect what do you yeah what yeah what do but you I,
2: have i mean i mean a lot of my stuff is, is steeler oriented because i'm i'm a steeler fan at heart you know growing up in the 70s you know in western pennsylvania you know it was a perfect, perfect time to be a, a kid and so I, I i got some some great items uh this past summer I got to meet John Cole at the PFRA convention so I have a photo of him hanging up him and I together and his autograph I, I actually got his football card his rookie card he signed it so I have I have that hanging up um, I have uh, I met Heinz Ward this past year and sure. he took the jersey. I had his jersey on when I met him I knew he was going to be at this event he, he took the jersey right off my back signed it and so oh, nice. I, 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 was, I was happy with that. And I also got the chance to meet uh, Jerome Bettis this year too, and have a signed autograph from him hanging up. So that's more personal type uh, stuff. But of some great players that I really enjoyed throughout their careers. Uh, you know, I've I've met Jack Lambert, I've met Jack Ham. Uh, one that I did not get a chance to meet was Franco Harris, and I I'm really bummed about that. And I was hoping he might have been at the PFRA conference when I mean, it was in Pittsburgh this past year, but his untimely death sort of did uh, did that in, But uh, I would have, that's one person I, I regret that I never got to meet.
1: Oddly enough, Franco was at a golf tournament I was at. Uh it, and it was just one of those odd coincidences here in Oregon. And I just went up and, my I man, I'm a huge fan. Uh just classy. He was he was so warm, so open. It was
0: it was really cool. That was about 10 years ago. Wow,
2: that, w- that would be a great experience. You're lucky. Yeah. That's great.
0: Well, Darren, we're almost out of time. I really appreciate you coming on to the show and uh, talking about uh, your book and your uh, websites. I do have to thank you for all you do for the hobby and for football history and memorabilia in general. Uh, you have it way over me as far as the number of podcasts. I could never do that. I could never keep up with that. i I can get two out a month. That's basically uh, my my limit, but uh, we we spend a lot of time on the magazine, obviously, so it, that kind of eats up a lot of our time. But uh, I really I appreciate everything you're doing. I'm, I uh, appreciate you coming on the show tonight and talking.
2: Well, well, thank you guys for the invitation. Thanks for the kind words. And uh, some people will call that an illness, what I had doing that many podcasts, <laughs> and I can't disagree with them. So, <laughs> But I appreciate you guys uh, having me on and, and great conversation. So thank you. All
0: right. Yeah. We're down to two minutes. Uh, if you're guys you guys are subscribed to Gridiron Greats Magazine, what are you waiting for? com. Joe, two-minute warning handoff to you. What you pick up on tonight's show?
1: It's... If you're not a subscriber to Good around grades, what are you waiting for? a little panache. Let's do it. Uh what I what a man. First of all, great guest. Thank you for bringing him on. Uh I've I have i have you know met him through VFC or you know seen him his posts. Uh and it, it's interesting. The normal research you do when a when a guest comes on, you're like, "Oh, I I know him. Let me let me do a deep dive and get you know and get a little more and whenever somebody has a podcast or something, I always enjoy listening to that. It's just it's fascinating. There are people out there like you, Bob, who do the heavy lifting for the hobby. Being the publisher of Gridiron Greats is, you know, you know, is you you are literally doing the Lord's work here for the hobby, putting out a fantastic publication that people love. I uh, I was just doing my recap, reading these before I put them in my official file. Uh, where I kind of, you know, categorize them. Uh, but just people like Darren, who've done, I was stunned at 265 podcasts. I was stunned to learn it was triple
0: that. Yeah, it's it's amazing the amount of podcasts he does. And the information is just phenomenal. I mean, I I, I literally learn something every day, reading his stuff, listening to his podcast, and so forth. And yeah. um, I, I'm going to do a shameless plug for Sports History Network, the podcast, Network, we're on now. Uh, the podcasts on, on this network are just incredible to me. The information, not, and even if you like other sports besides football, so on and so forth, there's some, some great information there. Uh, it's truly uh, amazing to me. And, and it's like a whole new world's opened up uh, as far as football history and memorabilia, in my opinion. All right, we're out of time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching and we'll be back hopefully in another week or two with our next podcast. Take care.